This is the What Happened Today podcast, your daily history podcast that tells you what happened on this day in history. Brought to you by the Productive Leisure Network, online, ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com, and on Facebook and Twitter, at Prod Leisure. I'm your host, Will Floyd, and what happened today, October 30th, in 1938, actor and theater director Orson Welles presented a radio play based on H.G. Wells' novel, The War of the Worlds, for the Columbia Broadcasting System in his anthology series, The Mercury Theater on the Air. Orson Welles' War of the Worlds is certainly the most infamous radio production ever. It is said that Wells' recounting of an alien invasion was so realistic, so frightening, that it caused a mass panic across America because people legitimately thought that they were being invaded by Martians. In many ways, that actual idea is somewhat ridiculous just on the face of it. Orson Welles' Mercury Theater on the Air was a well-regarded program that produced radio dramas, but it wasn't even the most popular show in its own time slot. That was the Chase and Sanborn Hour, which featured the ventriloquist Edgar Bergen and his sidekick slash dummy, Charlie McCarthy. So however innovative Orson Welles was, he couldn't beat a ventriloquist on the radio. So perhaps people were not looking at Orson Welles, but the idea of a panic was picked up immediately because some people were worried. And in addition to creating this panic and a national sensation, the War of the Worlds launched Orson Welles into the stratosphere in terms of his fame. By 1938, Orson Welles was a well-considered, hotshot young theater actor who had become one of the most innovative and challenging directors for the American stage. He had two impressive Shakespeare adaptations, one of Julius Caesar and another of Macbeth, which had an entirely African-American cast, and he had worked on the musical The Cradle Will Rock. By developing the Mercury Theater, a repertory company that basically allowed Wells to have his own cast that he regularly worked with, he was challenging the very way Broadway worked, and then he took the Mercury Theater to radio on CBS. Presenting the Mercury Theater on the air, Wells did not just present his theater productions on radio. Instead, he tried to find some way to actually create brand new programming. He liked adapting great literature, but he very rarely did actual plays, preferred to create brand new scripts. So he would do The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, Heart of Darkness, A Tale of Two Cities, and then, of course, War of the Worlds. The very idea for War of the Worlds was that for Halloween, something different had to happen. Showing on Sundays, Wells was able to present a brand new episode the day before Halloween in 1938, and he went back to H.G. Wells' novel. Published and set in the 1890s, H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds presents a Martian invasion of England. Written as almost an historical document recounting what went on, the original novel has a very factual tone when it comes to geography, when it comes to describing events, but yet is talking about a Martian invasion. And this was the inspiration for Orson Welles. His drama, he decided, would depict an invasion of America. Furthermore, he would not present it as simply a factual retelling, but would really try to make it as realistic to a breaking news bulletin as possible. He wanted his actors to portray reporters live in the field discussing the various Martian invasions and present a sense 
of chaos and panic in his actors. And in some ways, he was trying to create the feeling of what would happen with a real Martian invasion. This proved to be a bit troublesome for his overseers at the Columbia Broadcasting System. In fact, Wells was using so many real names in his original script that they were forced to change many of them. McGill University in Montreal had to be changed to Macmillan University in Toronto. Instead of the Columbia Broadcasting System headquarters, it was just the Broadcasting Headquarters. And in various ways, he could not directly mention specific names. There was a worry that people would take it too seriously. And yet Orson Welles had put at the very top and at a few places strategically throughout the show that this was in fact a drama presented in a different way. He in fact opened by essentially having someone seeming to talk from the future, looking back on the quote 39th year of the 20th century. And then after this announcement, a weather report and a musical performance play. Then the band, the completely made up Roman Rockello and his orchestra, were interrupted by various short news flashes that talked about strange explosions on Mars. Then the music is returned to. After that, more news bulletins come in, saying that there's a strange cylindrical meteorite landing in the small town of Grover's Mill, New Jersey. And so the reporter Carl Phillips and the professor of astronomy at Princeton, Richard Pearson, who were played by the actors Frank Reddick and Orson Welles himself, begin to discuss what might actually be happening. Then, constant news bulletins from across the country happen, talking about martial law being declared in New Jersey, people fighting fires across the tri-state area, a massive tripod rising and coming to New York. Finally, as the Martian invasion reaches New York City, seeing machines cross the Hudson and black smoke dominating the air, the line goes out. Then, the voice of a ham radio operator says, 2X2L calling CQ, New York. Isn't there anyone on the air? Isn't there anyone on the air? Isn't there anyone? At that point, the War of the Worlds was broken by an announcer, Dan Seymour, saying that yes, this was in fact a presentation by Orson Welles and his Mercury Theater of the Air. There was nothing to worry about. It was simply a dramatization of the War of the Worlds. The last part of the program actually had Professor Pearson describing a post-invasion life and what happened after the Martians took over and then died from germs they had no immunity to. The very end, Wells came back as the host, as he usually did on Mercury Theater of the Air, and said that this show was basically like dressing up in a sheet, jumping out of a bush and saying boo, but in Orson Welles' own way. However, by the time Orson Welles was saying that this was just like dressing up in a sheet, jumping out of a bush and saying boo, the panic had already started. People called local newspapers and police as soon as they heard what Wells was presenting and asked if there was a Martian invasion. This panicked CBS, naturally, and reporters swarmed Wells as he went to a rehearsal for his next Mercury Theater production, Dantone's Death. The New York Times headline the next day said, radio listeners in panic taking war drama as fact. The theory was people who were listening to Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy on the Chase and Sanborn Hour had flipped over during a musical interlude and missed the various announcements that said this was a dramatic production and just heard the breaking news bulletin about an invasion. The actual level at which people panicked from listening to the War of the Worlds seems uncertain. In the immediate aftermath, newspaper stories were rampant saying that Orson Welles had created a widespread panic and that most of America was frightened that Martians were invading. This seems unlikely, 
Wells, although he had a popular program, had no more than a few million listeners. And also, most people were sophisticated enough media consumers to probably know what real breaking news bulletins sounded like, and some familiarity. Also, the fact that the real evidence of a panic was that people were calling to confirm the news story means that people needed the confirmation. They didn't just randomly believe Orson Welles. And this has become the way that many people now think of it, that it was an intriguing piece of radio drama, and some small section of Americans were perhaps unnerved by it. But really, Orson Welles did not create some mass hysteria. But actually, enough people were worried that something was going on, that it speaks to larger fears about America in 1938. This was a country still in the Depression and increasingly worried about the rise of National Socialism and Adolf Hitler in Germany, the increasingly brutal communist regime under Joseph Stalin in the Soviet Union, and an expanding Japanese empire. There was, in fact, a great deal of worry about invasion. It did hit close to home. There was also a sense that in many ways America would be helpless. Although the whole world was suffering from the Great Depression, other nations had militarized in an alarmingly fast way. And they possibly could have had technology as frightening as a Martian tripod. No one knew what was in store. Orson Welles had to answer to the press repeatedly over the next few days, and he said, I never intended to cause panic. I made announcements. I simply wanted to present something new and interesting and innovative. And when asked why he changed the setting of War of the Worlds, he said, I did want to make it seem more like it was happening now, as H.G. Wells' novel did. But perhaps more importantly than causing maybe a night's panic that aliens were invading America, what the radio production of War of the Worlds did was make Orson Welles a household name. He was no longer just a peculiar theater director. Now he was a household name and you could hear him every Sunday night. He was able shortly thereafter to begin making films and his very first film was Citizen Kane, which he not only directed but produced, co-wrote, and starred in as the titular character of Charles Foster Kane. Citizen Kane would be heralded immediately and is often at the top of the best films of all time lists. And that film could never have been made if Orson Welles was still just an interesting theater director. But he was much more than that. He was the most sensational, challenging, remarkable man in theater and radio. And he got that reputation from presenting a possibly panic-inducing, realistic-sounding, innovative production of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds for his Mercury Theater on the Air radio anthology series, which is what happened today. October 30th in 1938. That will do it for today's episode, but as always, please check back in tomorrow for a brand new episode because we are a daily history podcast and we do put out a new episode each and every day. You can also find all of our episodes on our website, ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you are listening to us on either iTunes or Stitcher, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating and leave a review because those are the ways you can help us to get onto charts and be heard by brand new listeners. You can also help us out a bit more directly by going to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash productive leisure and becoming one of our patrons. At Patreon, patrons give small monthly contributions to support ongoing creative work like a podcast network. So if you want to hear more of the What Happened Today podcast or any other Productive Leisure Network podcast, please go to patreon.com slash productive leisure and become one of our patrons today. You can also follow us for updates on everything to do with the Productive Leisure Network on Facebook and Twitter at Prod Leisure. Thanks for listening and see you tomorrow.